Hello, everybody. This is the Real Estate Exam Prep Podcast. My name's Stu, and I'm going to be your host. Are you someone who's having trouble studying for your real estate exam? Did you maybe take the test and fall a few points short, or maybe more than a few points short? We're here to help. We're going to deliver this information in concise, simple ways so that it's easy for you to understand. We're going to give you study tips and as much information as humanly possible to help you prepare for the exam in an easy to understand manner. Now, we do have a ton of resources available at our website at www.helpmepassmyexam.com. Once again, that is www.helpmepassmyexam.com. Over there, you'll find links to our YouTube channel, our Facebook community, as well as links to sign up for private tutoring and so much more. So without further ado, thank you for listening and hopefully you join our community. You let us know how you're enjoying the material and let us know also how we can help you further in your real estate exam prep as well as your career after that. So enjoy the episode and remember, go over to our website at www.helpmepassmyexam.com. In this episode, I want to go through some common missteps that people take in regards to their approach to studying, as well as some things that you should start implementing in regards to good study habits. I've helped over 7,000 students in the country pass their real estate exam. And there's a lot of things that almost everyone does wrong. And there's a lot of things that people could all do a little bit better. So the first thing that I'm going to start talking to you about is understanding how you learn. Now, some of you guys might not know how you learn. You might say, I read the book, I do this, I do that. And that's that's part of the problem that a lot of students develop is that they really don't understand what is going to make them quick. And now understanding and recognizing that every student has differences in how they learn will help you understand what you need to do in order to help you pass the exam because a lot of people what they do is they see what other people are doing especially nowadays with social media having classes online and going to all these different resources you start typing into the chat hey who's taking the real estate exam and what did you do to pass the exam what did you do to get this result what did you do to help you understand the material now some of the things that they do are really good things some of the things might be good things for them. But that doesn't mean that it's going to be a good thing for you. So recognize that up front, that pulling your community together, looking at all your resources and saying, oh, my friend Betsy, she read the textbook for four hours a day and she passed the exam. So that must mean that I should read the textbook for four hours to help me pass my real estate exam. And that might not be the answer for you. Um, So the first thing that you want to do is to figure out how you learn in a way that's easy for you and it doesn't feel like a lot of pressure. Because I think a lot of people also put this immense amount of pressure on themselves, not only to pass the exam, 
but to develop really good study habits. The average real estate agent, or the, uh, let me rephrase this, the average person who's actually going to get into real estate is a social butterfly, is someone who might not have been the best student in school. So, I, I mean, let's face it, I'll tell you just from my personal experience, me, I was never an A student. And you look at someone like my wife, my wife was valedictorian, she was an Ivy League graduated doctor, so my wife is much different, polar opposite from me. So, she knows how to study. I, I was someone who was athletic, I was, uh, you know, into flirting with girls, being in the marching band, doing all these different things. That was my thing. And as far as, you know, passing my high school years and even my early college years, I was just like, yeah, I'm going to get by. A C is good enough. So what happens is now you have those people saying, yeah, I would love to get into real estate because I think this is going to be a good thing for me. This is going to be an avenue where I can make a lot of money and I can enjoy what I do. And you're right in saying that. If you've come to real estate with that type of personality and that type of background, you're, you're, you're correct. You're probably going to have a really fun time in real estate, showing homes, working with people, helping them get that ultimate American dream, they're going to be able to own a home, right? So it, it, it is definitely a belly-to-belly -belly contact sport. So again, you're correct in identifying yourself as someone who would be a good candidate to jump into real estate. But as an adult, typically those individuals tend to overcorrect in regards to their studies. And let me explain to you what I mean by overcorrect. What they typically do is they'll take, let's say, uh, you know, a, a good hour's worth of study material and they'll pound it into their head and then they'll go do a practice exam. And lo and behold, they'll sit there and eventually have three to four hours worth of studying in and their brain's going to be mushy potatoes at the end of it, but they're going to feel like they checked that box. They're going to say, you know what? I studied. I made up for all those years of being that student who was never the A student valedictorian. I made up for it by studying for four hours every day and telling my family and friends, leave me alone. I'm studying for my real estate exam. <laughs> That's not going to help you pass the exam. Okay. Um, let me tell you some things that actually happen when you go ahead and study for three to four hours at a quip. Uh, number one, you start to get to a point where your brain has exercised that much. Like, think about this. It's really like your brain's a muscle. And if you went to a gym for three to four hours, at about the two-hour mark, your legs would probably be jelly, your arms would be jelly, and you'd kind of be doing things a lot more haphazardly than you would at the beginning of your workout, okay? So that's really what's happening is you actually start doing things just almost to do them okay so if i did a four hour gym workout session i could tell you my my third and fourth hour are going to be really sloppy as far as form as far as what i'm getting out of it um and it's really just going to be me checking the box of going yeah i i was there i was there for four hours you know um and maybe you get something maybe you're like all right you know my heart rate was was up there and you know had a good good sweat had a good exercise but overall was it as effective as your first two hours no probably not um and 
exactly that happens in your studies. Uh, you're going to get to a point where your first couple hours are probably going to be your best. So like an hour and a half to hour and 45, really you should cut it off after that. So I usually say the length of a good movie, that's how long you should be studying for. You shouldn't be going much further than that. And no, Titanic is not a good movie. <laughs> so if you're listening to this and you're like, well, there are some good movies, outliers, yes, that are longer. And here's the thing. I'm not saying to you that a three to four hour session is absolutely something you should never partake in, but that should not be your regular diet. You should not even do it once a week. I'd say once a month, maybe like if you're just like in a, cause here's when you should do it. You're just in a groove you're doing it and it's not taking away from anything else that you're doing with your life it's not taking away from anything else that you're doing in regards to um you know quality study time i tell people take days off too because so many times people do not take a day off a couple hours off they don't take the breaks that they need and you start to get to a point where you're trying to fill your mind with so much information and keep this in mind too this is really obtuse information what do i mean by that this is legal ease this is stuff that you've probably for the most part have never heard of so this isn't something that i would say is really easy for people to pick up this is not something that you're used to being exposed to so three to four hours of it that's a lot and especially depending on how you're digesting the information and it goes back to your good study habits so learn what I would do is this I would go on to YouTube and I would look up college level note-taking college level study tips and just see for yourself what what resonates with you. And and I'm going to go through a couple of ways that some of my students have studied for the exam. Uh, some ways that I've recommended that students study for the exam. So not only are you going to be able to go out there and kind of tackle it on your own and kind of be cognizant of that piece of information that you need to know how you learn, what, what's going to really hit home with you, that's going to strike that right balance for you. And I'm going to tell you what your overarching theme should be. What What is your goal when you're studying? Because a lot of people start buying up practice exams. They start going to uh, practice exam sites and they start going, I'm going to do questions until my brain falls out. <laughs> and then they're going to scoop their brain back up from the floor and shove it back into their head and go, I'm ready for more. I don't want that to be you. That's not what you guys should be doing. You should be really trying to understand the concepts out of context. See, the questions, you shouldn't look at them as, if I study the question, then I will know what that answer is. I will understand it. Because that might not be the case. I have had students, and let's say if I had two students in front of me, and one got a zero on a practice exam, but studied every material that they got wrong, okay? And they looked into every concept to help them gain a better understanding of it. I like that student's chances better than someone who took the test, got 100%, but doesn't know why they got the answers right. 
that's someone who's going to bat with not a lot of information. And now what, so now I've given you that analogy, I've given you that example. So you're probably asking yourself, okay, Stu, so what should I be doing to study? Well, I like trying to understand the concepts out of context, okay? The concepts out of context are what's going to really drive you to understand the material. So what do I mean by that? I mean that you should have a nice, concise, simple two-sentence definition of something. So if you see something, you should be able to just go, oh, that's blah, blah, blah. And now your definition of something shouldn't be this long trailing thing where you go, so an example of that would be blah, 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 blah. No, don't do that. <laughs> that's not going to help you. Picture that your best friend is sitting in front of you and you're having coffee with your best friend. And they say, oh my God, Stu, I just started taking the real estate exam course and I wanna know from you, uh, what's joint tenancy? Okay, what's joint tenancy? So now I'm not going to sit there and give them this long rattling off information because that's not going to make sense to them. They're clearly having an issue trying to understand it. So what I'm going to do is give a nice concise answer. I would say joint tenancy is when there are two or more individuals, okay? And what happens is you have to meet the four unities, the unity of time, title, interest, and possession. Once you meet those, you and however many other people you have that are joint tenants get to enjoy the benefit of right of survivorship, which simply means as soon as someone dies, the other owner or owners gets the property. Now, you might have sat there and said, oh, I totally get that. Or you might have sat there and said, I don't know that I would ever be able to get there. Now, that's my definition. That's not a textbook definition. That's how I remember it. That's how I unpack it. And that's how I unpack it when I look at a question for joint tenancy. I have this nice little organized folder, okay? where I don't have a ton of examples that I have to unpack because here's what's going to happen. At the test, you're going to get you're going to get a situation where you'll have a scenario and that scenario is going to be where you have to apply your knowledge. So if your knowledge is buried in another scenario, you then have to unpack it from another scenario to then understand what it is to then reapply it to this scenario. And that's, that's complicated. That's a lot of stuff, especially under pressure. This is going to be a pressure environment. Your anxiety will be at the highest it can be, okay? I always say this. There's a lot of people that ask me about anxiety, and I go back to a, you know, a story that I like to share with people. Um, the pitcher in Game 7, bottom of the ninth, World Series, the very last thing he's thinking about is that it's Game 7, bottom of the ninth, three outs to go, you win the World Series. Oh my gosh, the pressure on him. What is he thinking about? Well, that pitcher is thinking, I've pitched the ball a million times. This is one million and one. This is just like practice. This is just like sitting at home with my old man playing catch. 
There is nothing different on this pitch. That's it. So if you've been studying, you've been practicing, and you've been doing all these wonderful things to help you pass the real the real estate exam, then just keep in mind that this test is nothing different than any of the practices that you've done. So if you're doing well in the practices and you understand your material in a clear, concise way, you are simply on your way to being successful at that test. There's nothing more that you really need to do in regards to your understanding. And there's nothing more that you need to do in regards to the anxiety that you're feeling. It's you shouldn't it shouldn't be there at all. Now I say that from my ivory tower of ah I, I tell seven thousand people how to do this. I get it. You're nervous. You got the jitters you got all that stuff but you have to control what you could control. You could control the level of anxiety you bring there. And I'm going to give you a couple tips that are going to help you, hopefully, with the anxiety and the stress that you might be having. So the first tip that I'm going to tell you is, uh, this is from a public speaker friend of mine. He, he rubs like a drop of lavender oil on the back of his thumb, okay? And then he just rubs his the back of his thumb to his nose and takes a nice little deep breath and goes on with his public speaking engagement. Lavender oil is a known essential oil to have calming effects. Now, some of you might say, hey, I'm not dipping lavender oil on the back of my thumb. Some of you might be saying, that's a great, fantastic idea, okay? Aromatherapy does work for some people. And again, there's a very individualistic thing here. Me, personally, I like doing the lavender oil thing. I also like just listening to stand-up comedy, going to, uh, you know, um, a a bar maybe the night before, not getting drunk, but having like maybe a nice meal, relaxing, really putting your mind in the best possible place it could be, getting a good night rest, uh, not eating a massive meal the morning of, uh, things that you can control. So I will tell you guys, control the controllables okay you control your state of mind all the way up to the moment you get into that testing center okay all the way up until that point you have absolute control of how you're going to anticipate it how you're going to react also another silly stupid thing some of you guys might say Stu, this is no way i want you guys to try this right now so you're going to listen to what i'm going to tell you and then pause my podcast. I want you to pause it. I want you to take a second and I want you to think, okay? And I'm going to take a second too. So I'll have a little, a little break. But what I want you to do is this. I want you to try tensing your shoulders as much as you can. Tense them, tense them, tense them up. And then smile. Give a genuine smile. Go ahead and try it. Give it a shot. If you have a genuine response to a smile, you will not be able to tense up your shoulders. It's the craziest thing. Craziest thing. You can't tense up your shoulders when you have a genuine wholehearted smile on. So guess what? When you're at the testing center, be the weirdo in the corner. Smile. Relax a little bit. Have a little bit of fun, okay? And also at the testing center, one of my favorite tips and this is going to be one of the last ones that we go over today. One of the last tips that I like giving my students is this. 
I tell them on the hard questions, I want you to picture that your best friend is there studying with you. Because remember, you were using them in that coffee shop example where you were giving them that explanation of what joint tendency was. Use them as your anchor for the test, okay? Because when you have a study buddy or a friend or whatever the case may be that's studying with you and maybe they're taking practice exams with you, you'll notice this. This is a very common uh, group study activity is that you'll sit there and go, okay, I don't really understand the question, so what are they asking? And then the other person will kind of take the reins and go, okay, I, I think they're asking us blah, 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 okay? They'll say something like that. And it'll be a simple rewording or a simple just different angle of the question. That's a great way to think about it because if you're struggling with a question, you really want to understand what the question is asking you, not the answers. A lot of people go and they'll reread the answers and reread the answers and reread the answers. And the more you reread the answers, the more you actually get further away from the actual content of the question. You need to focus on the question and what it's asking you. If you don't have a base understanding of that, then you're going to struggle through the answers. And on that note, don't add anything to the questions. Some, I'll tell you a story. There's really an avenue that people take when they're tackling questions that they either don't understand the material or they'll come to a question where they'll say, I need to bring more stuff to it. Or they'll say, there's no way that question is that straightforward. And they'll kind of get it more complicated than they need to make it. So let me give you a perfect example. If I asked you a question, what color is the black cat? Number one, there's some people that might sit there and say, what's a color? Well, those people are probably going to guess. There's, there's That is straight up, I don't know the information. And that's fine. I don't expect my students to know 100% of what's being asked on the test. There's absolutely no way as a really genuine, good real estate instructor that I could tell you, yes, you need to know exactly what's on the test. Okay, you need to know 100% of it. No, you need to have a concise enough definition so that there are questions that you're going to look at and go, what color is a black hat? Okay, what's a color? And that's fine. You're going to get that one. You're going to have a 25% chance. Okay, you're going to have a 25% chance. And some of the uh, process of elimination tools that you could use. And there's a lot of them. There's a great amount of process of elimination tools out there. I'll just run through a couple. One is never pick an answer that is not something you've heard of. Because as someone who has written test questions before, I can tell you there's a lot of times where I'll go, you know, what color is the black cat? I'll go black, orange, white, and banana. Uh, so if you sit there and go, I've never heard of this banana thing, I think I'm going to pick it. You, you're going to probably be picking the author's just, uh, it is what it is kind of answer. Um, so that's not a good way to tackle. And this is, again, if you genuinely don't know the answer. So I would say, number one, don't pick the answer you don't know. Okay, Pick an answer that you've at least heard of so that you know that it's a real thing. Okay, Number two, typically the longer answer is typically when you're guessing the right answer. 
again, when you are completely and totally guessing, if you gave me a very short answer or a very long answer, I would lean towards the long answer, maybe more detailed, okay? And again, this is when it's a four-sided coin. You have not been able to process to eliminate anything, okay? Now, going back to the black cat question, I told you about the one student who says, I don't know what a color is. There's another student who says to me, you are trying to trick me. You are a tricker. I know your evil ways and I'm not going to let you ask. It's not that straightforward. And I just look at him and I go, I wish I could tell you that it is that straightforward, but I'm not there to talk to you as a test writer. So you have to believe that the questions are more straightforward than you think they are. You, you may sit there as someone who has taken some of these practice exams, someone who may have even taken the test before. You might say they're tricky. But I can guarantee you, if you actually look at the question and say, it's not a tricky question, it's straightforward, it's self-containing, it will probably make more sense to you. So when you're taking the test and you're reading those questions, think about that. Think about the black cat story. Think about the situation with the pitcher <laughs> pitching game seven of the World Series, okay? Um, this is something that you really want to make sure that you're doing all of those things to keep a clear mind, laugh to yourself, smile, you know, do whatever you need to, to help you pass that exam. And the last thing that I'm going to say, I'm going to kind of reiterate something I lightly touched over before, have good habits leading up to the test. Uh, you know, don't eat a big meal, do things that relax you the night before. If that means going out, listening to music, playing Rummy Cube with your friends, playing poker with your friends. For those of you who don't know who Rummy Cube is, I'm, I'm basically, that's an old person, like, like Rummy Cube tiles and everything. Listen, I digress though. I kind of go off on a beaten path, but you could do whatever it is that makes you happy, that makes you feel good, feel at ease. You shouldn't be cramming. You shouldn't be listening to podcasts and webinars up until the last minute. No, you can't listen to my podcast. You can't listen to my webinars. You can't listen to my videos up until the 11th hour when you're taking that test. Um, because it's just, it's just going to get you to a point where you're setting yourself up to be stressed before you get into that testing center. And, and the very last thing I'm going to leave you with, guys, is this. Don't be afraid to skip questions. Skip all your math questions. If you're in a state that has math, that has arithmetic that you have to do, save it all for the end. That's You're better off saving that for when you actually have a situation where your brain's kind of like gotten the engine started a little bit and you have a little bit of heat to your um to your thought processes and you have a little bit of time to warm up. All right. The other thing too is skip as many questions as you want. If you get through your first pass through of the test and it's not coming to you within 15 to 20 seconds, skip it. Don't fight it. Uh, because here's why you might have information later on in the, um, in the exam that's going to give you more light on what, you know, what that question was actually asking you. And instead of you going back and changing your answer, because I think that's a poor way to approach it, okay? I think that what you should be doing 
is doing one pass through the exam where you answer the ones that you know nailed 100% and then don't care about how many that you skip. If you skip 70 questions, so what? You know, at least you got to pass through it. I don't want to see you redo a question, go back, change your answers because that's a recipe for disaster. And with that, I do wish you a lot of luck on your journey. Hopefully this is the first video that you're watching in regards to our podcasts, our recordings, all that kind of stuff. So remember, you can find us at www.helpmepassmyexam. That's where we have, um, so it's helpmepassmyexam.com. Sorry about that, I left off the .com. That's where we're going to have our YouTube videos, our uh webinars private tutoring all that kind of stuff so a ton of resources for you there listen to the podcast episodes we're going to try to keep them nice and concise and put as much information in there for you so that it's easy for you guys to digest as far as the concepts if you're going to the gym you just want to listen to a couple episodes so again thank you for supporting us thank you for being here and we'll see you guys real soon